So this morning we are continuing our series, our series titled We Are Covenant. And it's talking about the six affirmations of the Covenant Church. And uh, last, or actually a few weeks ago, we began with our common affirmations that we are uh, an apostolic church. That's basically meaning that we subscribe to the Bible and to the teaching of the apostles. And we talked about how we are a Catholic church, Catholic in the sense of universal, that we belong to the universal church. And, and the covenant, as I've long said, uh, had a, uh, have quoted Psalm 119. that says, I am a friend of all who fear thee, Lord, that anyone who believes that Jesus is Lord and Savior, we are friends with them. Even if maybe we have differences of opinion on other things, if we can agree on that, that's enough for us. We also talked about how we are a Reformation church and that we come out of the, the uh, Reformation <clears throat> and the values of Scripture, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, and we also talked about how we are an evangelical church, that for us, talking with others about our faith, about what Jesus has done for them, reliance on Scripture, the importance of social justice, all of these things matter to us as a covenant church. And as we were talking about that, I realized uh, that week that we, uh, not only the, the, the breadth of the covenant church in terms of uh, Catholic, in the sense of that we are friends of all who fear the Lord, but also the depth of, of the church is that it, roots go back into Scripture, into the Bible. And that was the first affirmation, which we talked about uh, two weeks ago, that we believe as covenanters in the centrality of the Word of God, that the Bible is the only perfect rule for faith, life, and conduct, that we base our lives on Scripture on the Word of God. Well, this morning we come to our second affirmation, the necessity of new birth. And we talked about this some, and we'll watch a, a video here in just a moment. But uh, actually, you know, why don't we start that now? As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. story in Genesis tells us that all of us are sinners. Uh, we've inherited that sinful nature uh, from Adam and Eve. There is no one without sin. Jesus himself said that no one is good except God alone. All humanity is in need of salvation. I think the wonderful story of the Bible is that God would love us so much that he would not allow us to stay in a place of death and alienation. And I think that t tells us about the, the character of God, that God really is love. He would love his people so much, he would not allow us to be that far away from him, and that he would go to great lengths, even to the point of death on a cross, that we would come into a personal relationship with him. 
New birth is when God reaches out through His grace and with His grace and He takes us out of the state of spiritual death into new life. I believe our response to God is to turn away from sin. New birth also referred to as conversion as the action of turning away from everything that separates us from God and turning to Jesus Christ. There is no new birth without repentance and faith. And that new life has a whole bunch of implications and, and important things that we need to do as a result of that new life. But in the experience of that new birth, we move from being spiritually dead, from being lost and alienated from God, we moved into that place of being found and, and experiencing that new life. I grew up in a Christian home. My family has a Christian background and I grew up in the church. And I appreciate now how much those Bible stories and Sunday school lessons helped in forming my understanding of new life. Uh, but it really actually was a particular moment that I accepted Christ as my Savior. It was a high school retreat with my youth group uh, where I went and it became a very personal experience for me to have that place where I committed my life to Christ. Uh, prior to that, I had a, a great deal of bitterness and anger and hatred towards things, particularly because of my relationship with my father. Uh, my father had abandoned our family, and I was wondering what it meant to, to have a heavenly father that would love me unconditionally when that wasn't my experience with my earthly father. But when I received new life, all the things that embittered me, all the things that uh, disempowered me, that alienated me from God, it seemed to melt away. And that new life meant that now I wasn't captive to my sin. I wasn't captured by my past. I had a new hope and a new life. I don't remember having a dramatic uh, conversion experience as so many others have had. But I do know that the vitality of my Christian life, I think, is evidence of its occurrence. I did grow up in a Christian home, always surrounded by individuals, incredible models of Christianity, incredible leaders constantly coming and going through our homes. These were the people that I wanted to be like. In fact, later I found out that it wasn't necessarily they that I wanted to be like, it was Christ that I was following. That was my real model. We experience growth uh, through discipleship through relationship, through being part of a church or Christian community. And I know that in my life, my personal salvation experience was very individualistic, uh, very much focused on my sin and being at a place where I repented of my sin and found new life for myself. Uh, but as I was discipled in community, there were things that I was learning that caused me to grow uh, in the context of that community. The same gift of grace that I have received, the same gift that uh, I have received with my wife and my children is a gift that I would love to see others receive. It's, uh, it's a whole different type of life. It's a whole different lifestyle. It's not what we give up, but what we accept. I think if we were left to our own devices, it would be very difficult for us to recognize that we are spiritually dead and that we are alienated from God. I think it's difficult for us at times to see that uh, compared to the holiness of God, 
we fall short of that holiness. The Holy Spirit reminds us uh, and it prompts us to have that understanding that we need God. It's not something we can do of ourselves, but it's something that God sends His Spirit to prompt us to say we are in desperate need of God. Without God, we are spiritually dead. We need new life. And the Holy Spirit is the agent through which that transformation, that conviction occurs. I went to college in New York City and as I would walk the streets of the city I would see there are so many people that are hurting, that are lost, uh, homeless and, and, and drug addicts and the people that we would typically pass by but my new life now meant that I had a compassion for them that I might not have had before. I want to live out my life and community through evangelism, through sharing the good news with others, living out my new life by caring for those that are lost and caring for those who are homeless, caring for those that are hurting, uh, standing up for those who can't stand up and speak for themselves. This is all a part of what it means to have that new life and to live out that new life in the context of community. I believe that Danny is a very good example of just the beginning. Danny, as a young man, was an active socialist leader on campus. He was rebellious, he was angry, uh, he was estranged from his father and his half-brothers. Since his new birth, he has been active in ministry throughout Latin America. He is now planting a church in Colorado. Maria is representative of a person that's changed. She's representative of a community of squatters in northern Brazil. When I first met Maria, she had been a voodoo center prostitute. All of her income went to buying uh, tobacco and liquor. When she became a Christian, she changed. And in this picture, she's sharing her testimony with my wife and myself. And she's telling us how all of her legitimately earned income is now being used to take care of her home, build her home, and take care of her child. There is that place where we come to this understanding or knowledge of new birth, a place where we can say, I have experienced this transition from spiritual death into spiritual life. It's a gift that affects us presently, but it's also a gift that will affect us eternally. We are one, we're united, we're community. This is the only thing that can bring health to my, my home, to my neighborhood, my community, and our nation. And I'm convinced of that. And that's why I want to share the same message with others. Reflecting on what it means to be, to be born again, to have this new birth, the centrality of, of new life in Christ. And you know, I was thinking about it. Sometimes I, I was thinking that sometimes uh, people come to Christianity. Uh, maybe some of you've had conversations like this with someone who's not a believer yet. But they'll begin asking, like, what are the minimum requirements? You know, what do I have to do just so I can be, you know, in their idea, I can be saved and go to heaven when I die? And sometimes, you know, some places people have gotten the idea that, you know, if it's it's about church attendance, if you go to church, then you're saved. Or it's about your parents. If your parents were Christian, then everything's fine. Some people have other ideas, you know, well, I, I do really good, I, I help people, or I'm really kind. People have all these different ideas, and sometimes even Christians might have these ideas. 
But as we were, I was watching this uh, and reflecting on new birth, the centrality of new birth, realizing that our place with God begins in our relationship with Jesus, our ongoing relationship with Jesus. And this whole week I've been thinking about this in terms of two paths. And I, sorry, I'm an outdoors kind of guy. I was thinking about like uh, trails up in the mountains. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of roads um, through the woods, through the, through the mountains. And, you know, some roads are low and some roads are high. Some of the roads are really wide and easy to walk. Some of them are overgrown and crowded and difficult. And I was thinking about this in terms of our faith and that there, we are given the option of two roads to follow. There's this huge wide road that many of our friends and neighbors are walking. And, you know, in the beginning it seems like it's easy or it's better, but I believe that ultimately it leads to a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and ultimately separation from God. But then there's also this other road, this narrow road, that for me oftentimes it feels like it's steep, it's narrow, there aren't as many people walking that way. And even though it's difficult at times, it does lead to joy in difficult times, hope when things seem hopeless, community, and ultimately a, re- um, a relationship with our Father in heaven. That there are these two roads. And I started thinking about this in terms of scripture, and I was uh, reflecting on some of the scriptures that I saw on the screen. And if you would, if you would uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 4, or it's also on the back of your bulletin as well. These are two passages, one from Paul, one of the great teachers of Scripture, and one from Peter, one of the other great teachers. The first one is from Paul, a letter that he wrote to Christians in Ephesus. And he says to them, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then we also have this reading from Peter, uh, a letter that he sent to the churches in Asia Minor. And he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his mercy, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never uh, uh, perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As I've been reflecting on these scriptures and even on the things that uh, Professor Sunchal Ran spoke and El Delgado about faith is following Jesus, that there are these two roads that we can take. But I also began thinking about, even before we begin talking about that, is that these, this option of this narrow, sometimes more difficult but much better road, the fact that we even have an option is by God's grace. We have to begin there with what God has done. That God sent his son. Because he loved us, each of you, because he loved us so much, he sent his son. His son came and lived. I mean, I think about this, how amazing it is that God took on flesh and lived among us. I mean, God becoming human. I know we've heard that for, as Christians, we've heard that for thousands of years now. But in... And you start thinking about it in terms of, of, of life. That's amazing that God would do that. And then he lived among us, taught us how to, how to follow him, taught us how to be faithful to the Lord our God. But that wasn't where he stopped. He underwent persecution and torture. 
He was nailed to a cross and ultimately died on a cross so that we might be reconciled to our Father in heaven. That the sin and the brokenness that separated us from God would no longer separate us, would no longer keep us from him. Jesus did all of this on the cross and he died. And ultimately, death died with him because he rose again. On the third day, Jesus rose again. Not only proving that everything he said was true and that proving to us who he really is, but also gave us hope in life eternal that death is not the end for us. And then we began to realize that not only was Jesus a Savior, but he is also Lord. That he is God. So God did all of this, and it was on God's initiative. It was God's idea. He's the one who initiated this salvation for us. It's by his grace that we are saved. And I heard uh, El Delgado speaking about it. He said, you know, that we enter into this grace, into this relationship with God through repentance and faith. Now, the faith part is interesting because, you know, lots of people are interested in faith, but the repentance part is difficult in our culture nowadays. Nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. Actually, we live in a culture now where it says that everything's right as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Repentance is hard. But it's also refreshing <laughs> to say, Lord, please forgive me. I think maybe some of you probably remember those first time, or that first time that you said, Lord, please forgive me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life and help me lead a new way, or live a new way. All of this was by God's initiative in our lives. And if you ask me, it's a small price to pay for this new life we have in Jesus. It's a small price. And it talks about it here in Ephesians. If you if you take a look with me again at the first scripture reading. Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. To put off your old self, your old way of doing things. The ways that led to death, the things that were selfish, the things that were greedy, the things that did not believe in God. Put those things off which is being uh, corrupted by its deceitful desires, but then to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, your new identity in Jesus, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He talks about putting on a new identity, putting to death all the things that we used to do, the things that uh, our greed, our um, selfishness, drunkenness, things that we used to do that seemed like they were good and made us happy at the time. But being born again, having this new birth means putting all those things to death. Putting all those things off and taking on new clothes, a new identity of Jesus, of faithfulness, of charity, of kindness, of blessing others, we put on this, this new identity. And it's interesting because I think about this and I think about how this faith, this following Jesus really is a new way of life. You know, I've, I've seen it and I've, I've read it in some churches where uh, being a Christian is reduced down to some moment or some ritual. 
Or some will say, well, I was, uh, my family was Christian, so I know that I am. Or I used to go to church when I was a kid, so that must mean I'm, I'm saved or I'm, I have this, I'm okay with God. Some people even would say, I mean, I've known people who said, you know, I've, I've prayed the prayer, so I'm good now. And they go on living their life like everyone else on the big wide way, on the lower path. But as I read scripture, and as I hear this text, this thing that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, our faith is an ongoing relationship with Jesus. That's essential. It's essential, this ongoing relationship. That having a one-time event or ritual um, is not what Jesus intended. When he said, come follow me, he meant that we would follow him with our whole life. Follow him with everything that we have. And the fruit would come out of that. That faith doesn't, is, begins with a decision, that's true. But that decision leads to a journey, to a new way of life. To a new way of life that means following Jesus when it's difficult. Doing things his way even when it's hard, even when everyone else around us thinks it's crazy we begin living this new life with him. The difficulty is that sometimes we can find ourselves losing our way. You know, I talk about these two paths and that when we are born again, when we have this new birth, we step off of one path and we step onto this new path following Jesus. The trouble is we can get distracted. We can get busy even busy with lots of good things. And we take our eyes off Jesus. And when we look up, sometimes we realize that we are off track. Sometimes we realize that we have completely stepped off of this new way of life and we step back into our old way of life. And I'm thinking about how do we respond to that? I mean, are any of you, have any of you had that experience? Maybe some of you are experiencing that now. We realize that you have been so distracted or so busy with things, not even necessarily bad things, but that you realize that when you've looked up, that you're off the track. That this new life that you entered into years ago, you're not there anymore. We get busy with our idols, you know, our fun or our responsibilities, or things that are important to us. And we lose our way. We get on the wrong track. Well, I was thinking about how do we help each other get back on this right path? On this, how do we help, our, how do we help each other live this new life that we have in Jesus? And I think this is where sometimes... Like we as Christians go wrong as we try to encourage each other. We try to help people behave right. We focus on behavior. And sometimes behavior can help, but sometimes it can just be going through the motions. Sometimes we say, well, you know, if you do these things, just start doing them, whether you feel like it or not. <laughs> just do them. And you'll, at least you'll look like a Christian, like a follower of Jesus. And I, you know, I, sometimes I, that helps, but for me it's always been sort of like a spare tire. And, you know, those little tiny ones you get in the cars now. Like, like discipline can help you get to the next place. 
It can help you if you've blown a tire and you're off on the wrong track. It can help you get to the next town to get things fixed. But you're not meant to run on discipline. We're not meant to run on our own self-discipline. And I just do this because I know it's the right thing to do. Or I just do it because I know I'm supposed to. We can, get, we can kind of get through some difficult times that way, but we're not meant to live that way. And I was thinking about what Peter said to the churches in Asia. If we would just listen to this, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That it begins with remembering who we are in Jesus. That when we find ourselves, or maybe if you find yourself off the right track, or not living the new life that you were given through Jesus, that it begins with remembering who we are. Remembering our identity, that we are children of God. That God has sent his son. And through his resurrection, through his crucifixion and resurrection, we have been given a new life. A new life that we just live into. That it's not about you know, how many Sundays we attend a church or how much money we give. I mean, those things are all good. But it begins ultimately with our relationship with Jesus. As we as covenanters, this is central for us. That it's our relationship with Jesus. Now, I know that some of these things, like, well, you know, what does it look like? What does it look like to pursue Jesus? What does it look like following him? And there's, I mean, there's a few, like lots of different things, but three that came to my mind this week was of gathering together in a large group like this on Sunday morning, gathering together with our brothers and sisters, making this a priority in our lives. Not that this anyway earns us points or anything like that, but gathering together to encourage one another, to be here for each other, but mainly to praise God. This is an important way. This is the way Christians have done it for thousands of years, is gathering together like this to praise God. Another great way is gathering together in smaller groups. Gathering together in a small group another time in the week to join in fellowship with each other, to pray for each other, to find out how we're really doing. More than just a few-minute conversation on Sunday morning, but to actually ask people, how are you? How can I pray for you? To study scripture together. To have those long conversations that are difficult to have on Sunday morning to work out differences, to learn, to understand more deeply who God is. These things happen in small groups. This is, these are one of the two powerful ways that we move closer to Jesus. But then there's also a third, and this is our personal devotion, our personal time, praying in the morning or in the evening or in the middle of the day, whenever you do it, to personally move closer to Jesus. And I think this is the bedrock of our faith that when our relationship is right with Jesus, with the Lord our God, then other things will fall into place. We'll want to gather together in small groups to praise and to learn, to study, to pray for each other. We'll want to gather on Sunday mornings. We won't have those times where we think like looking for any excuse not to come. <laughs> we'll find a way to be here. We'll find a way to study in the morning our own personal devotion. We'll find a way to meet together with our small group. We'll find a way to gather on Sunday mornings. We'll find a way. But it begins with our relationship with Jesus, of following him.
Now, I know for some of you, maybe uh, you're thinking like, well, you know, Jason, this seems sort of difficult because I'm not feeling close to him right now. But I want to encourage you that as followers of Jesus, our faith grows best when we are connected to him, reading his word and spending time in prayer or other disciplines like fasting or solitude or service. It's our relationship with Jesus that is central to everything. So this morning, as we reflect on the necessity of new birth, the necessity of being born again, that we realize, first of all, that it begins with Jesus. He's the one. It is God who has initiated all this. It is God's grace that brings us into a new relationship. But it is a new way of living. We put off this old self, all the old ways of doing it, our anger and our greed and our selfishness. We put all those things off. We kill those things so that we can live this new life. This new life in Jesus filled with grace and hope and patience and love and joy. And if things are difficult, if you are in one of those times when you find yourself off, when you find yourself not living this new life or off the path you've, that God has put you on before, that we return to him. That we spend time in a relationship with Jesus because this will grow our faith. Amen.